chapter 22 tonight, so please turn with me. And I'm going to pray as we turn. Acts chapter 22. Father, I pray that you speak through me tonight. And would your Holy Spirit not withhold any information that you would want to share above and beyond what I've prepared. So use me, help me be concise and clear and speak with truth and clarity. And I pray that the hearts would be open in this room tonight or in the upper room or in the cafe or whoever's listening, maybe even later in a podcast. I don't know, webcasting right now. Just you speak. This is your church. And we are your people to carry your name to the nations. And so just use us tonight by first opening our hearts to heed your word so we have knowledge and act upon that knowledge. Change us into your image, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Eric, Pastor Eric, he left us with a big cliffhanger last week. And so I have to go back and do a quick recap because if I don't, you're really going to miss out. We are going to miss out on the impact and the power of passage in 22. And what we are, we're really kind of coming to a closure on Paul's missionary journeys because this is at the end of his third missionary journey. So if you were to break down Paul's missionary journey, so you can't understand the scriptures, chapters 13 and 14 are Paul and his first missionary journey. He's going out into Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Asia. He comes back for the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 to, to, to rally together with all the leadership to figure out theology. And then as soon as he get, they all figure out this theology, he gets sent back out, Acts 16, and 17 for his second missionary journey, and eight, part of 18. Then he comes back in the middle of Acts chapter 18, and then sends right back out again, all within chapter 18, on his third missionary journey. And he's planting churches all those times, and he's equipping and discipling disciples. He's going to the nations, to the uttermost. He's out there. He even makes his way over into Europe. 19... Crazy things happen in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus is birthed. What a wonderful, wonderful description Dr. Luke here gives us on how the Holy Spirit has birthed that church, but Paul had to get out of Dodge because it went crazy there, and they wanted to kill him. So he had to leave, and so he kind of just starts to wind his way back around and what we have in Acts chapter 20 and 21 is Paul making his way back on his third missionary journey, and truth is in the air. Paul is pretty much going to surrender himself when he goes to Jerusalem to proclaim the good news because it's Pentecost. He's going back in there, and he knows that he's probably going to run into some serious um, opposition. And as he's going back, from Europe, he's working his way back to hopefully to get to Jerusalem. All these people are coming that he has established a relationship with in the past and all those church plants, and they all know it too. And so Acts 20 and 21 is extremely emotional. People are crying on Paul. Paul's crying. It's just a really a, it's a hard farewell for many people. They love Paul, and Paul loves them. And there's prophets amongst all those different groups of people are saying, 
you are going to be bound and put in prison and probably going to die. And Paul's like, I know, but I still have to go. And even his closest companions are like, Paul, don't go. Please don't go. He says, I have to go. Why are you weeping over this? I'm willing to even die for Jesus Christ. Because Paul realized he's no better than his Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's what has to happen for the name of Jesus to go out, Paul's fine with that. And so we find that he just kind of sort of gives up. They give up trying to convince him and say, well, Lord, will it go? Really emotional, guys. You, if you get in there and you pay attention to the words, you'll, you'll, it, you'll capture the emotion behind it. And as he comes back into Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 21, what Pastor Eric was talking about last week, he comes to the leadership of the church. The leader is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the elders are there. And so James tells Paul, he's like, Paul, you have to listen up because there's something going on right now, and you're involved in it. There's a lot of gossip about you that's happening in the temple right now. There are a lot of believing Jews who are staunch, still Jews, but they're believers. But what they're hearing about you, Paul, it's incorrect, but nevertheless, this gossip about you needs to be put to rest. And so what's happening is people are saying Paul is going out into Asia on his missionary journeys, and he's telling all the Jewish people, you don't need to follow our customs anymore. You don't need to be circumcised and obey the Lord, and what we are to do is Jews. Paul never says this, ever in his missionary journeys. He never tries to take a Jew and say, you don't have to follow these rules or these laws. These are for the Jewish people. Paul knew that, and Paul followed them himself. Multiple times it says that Paul would follow these vows. He was on a Nazarite vow, or whatever it is, he would follow those. He's coming back for Pentecost because he's a Jew, a believing Jew in Christ, but nevertheless, he's a Jew, and so he's still following the customs. So this is all false. They're making it up. And so James, they concocted a plan. It says, you need to put this to rest. So these four guys that are sitting here, they're, they're in a Nazarite vow right now. You need to take these four guys, Paul, and you need to go to the temple so they can go through their purification ritual, as every person in a Nazarite vow has to do. They need to cut their hair off and do their, do their ceremony. And not only do they need to take them there, you need to pay for them. And that right there will prove to everybody that you're still believing the Jewish rituals and you're not trying to distract anybody from following our heritage. Now, the message that Paul would say to the Gentiles is, you don't need to follow our heritage. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved and all these things. It was two totally different messages. And the point is, so Paul takes these people there just to prove his Jewishness, to put this to rest, and so there's peace. Well, as he goes there, and he does this, and he's walking around the temple during Pentecost. That means all the nations are there because this is one of the mandatory feasts for all the Jews to show up to Jerusalem. There's three mandatory feasts. Pentecost is one of them. So if you are an able-bodied man, you are to come into Jerusalem for this feast. So he comes into the temple, and lo and behold, who else is there? All these other Jews that cause him so many problems, like in Thessalonica, who tried to kill him, and then they chase him down when he goes to Berea. All these types of people are there, and they know Paul, and they don't like him. They want to kill him, and this is their opportunity. And so we're here right now in this scene. They start trying to kill him. 
is what we heard last week. They were trying to kill him. They started up a huge ruckus in the temple during Pentecost. All the nations are here. You guys understand what's going on? This is a big deal. So when I said that Eric left us with a cliffhanger, no doubt, this was a crazy action-packed scene right here that was going on. So let's pick up actually in chapter 21, verse 37, and then we're going to continue. And it says, then Paul was about to be led into the barracks. And he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? So Paul was getting beaten, and they wanted to kill him, but the Roman soldiers and Antonio Fortress, which is pretty much connected to the Temple Mount, they beef up all their soldiers during these festivals because they don't want any, anything like this to get out of hand and try to overtake the Roman government. And so they go to the Antonio Fortress and they pick up a Roman commander and these guys say, you need to help. And they come and they see Paul lying there. They got to figure out, what, who is this guy? What's he doing? Why are these people beating this guy, chaining him up into two chains? And they start to take him out, and it's so intense and crazy. It says, just prior to this passage I just read, that, the, Jew, that the, the, the Roman soldiers picked Paul up, probably picked him up on his shoulders to get him out of this crazy scene, this crowd who wanted to kill him. And they're going up the steps. As he's being led to the barracks, he says to the commander, so during all this chaos, he yells out to the commander, May I speak to you? And then he replied, the commander replies, can you speak Greek? So it kind of just stopped the commander in his tracks because why is this guy speaking an intellectual language? Who is this guy? Because the commander thought he was somebody totally different. So check this out. It says, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said... I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, or no small city, really. This is an important city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. This situation where Paul spoke Greek impressed the commander so much that when Paul asked, can I speak to the people? I'm not who you think I am. Can I speak to the people? It impressed this commander so much, he allowed Paul to address this crazy crowd, which is pretty impressive. What's that tell you about Paul and what's going on here? And so Paul stands on the stairs now and motion with his hand to the people, like, okay, be quiet, I'm going to speak. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's going on? And this Hebrew language is actually an intellectual language, the Aramaic language. So it not only has he impressed the Greek commander, with his intelligence. Now, he shut the crowd up because he's speaking in proper Hebrew language. Paul is a very educated man, and he silenced them just with his, his educational level, really. But we know the Holy Spirit is behind this. 
And he says to them, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are here today. Grew up in Tarsus. He was taught by the leading instructor on their customs, Gamaliel. We, see, we saw him in chapter 5. Remember when that whole thing was happening in chapter 5? These Christians were going out and people were coming to Christ and it was causing the Jews, really it was a shot to their pride. And they wanted to kill them. And Gamaliel was just like, leave them alone. If God is in it, then you better watch out. But if he's not in it, this thing is going to die. And the high priest there, probably the Sanhedrin was there, and they listened to him. And that man spoke enormous amount of wisdom. They knew him. He carried a lot of clout amongst the people. And here Paul is saying, I come from a very well-off city, prominent city in Tarsus, taught by the best man right here. He is a Jew. And he was taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous towards God, as you all are here today. And listen to this. He says, and I persecuted this way, which is this Christian, this new thing that Paul was talking about. I persecuted the, this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished." Paul was trying to commit genocide, and he was letting them know this. He is a strict Jew, really, really radically opposed to this Christian teaching, so much so that he's willing to kill them and even put them in prison and even travel long distances to do such a thing. He's really trying to build up, man, for lack of a better word, his credentials to the Jewish people. He's these people who are filled with hate right now, just so they can say, look, guys, I'm no different than you are, or I was no different than you are right now. And now what happened as I journeyed near to Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which were appointed for you to do. What? This is Paul's testimony. We already read this back earlier on. This is Paul's testimony. He was on the road looking for Christians to put them in prison to get rid of them, get rid of the way. Us. And boom, Jesus strikes him down. And I'm trying to like just really try to get an understanding of this the best that I can and trying to piece this thing all together in my mind and what was this like and this 
Pentecost is huge for us to understand. Before I get to the rest of this, I understand it's, it was a big, big festival. And it goes all the way back into Exodus. After the Passover, which was a foreshadowing of Jesus dying on the cross. 50 days later, Penta, 50. 50 days later, Moses ascends on Mount Sinai after the miraculous delivery of the children of Israel. Ascends, and God comes down and speaks to Moses and gives him the law, how to build the tabernacle, how to worship him, rules and regulations of his people. That's the start of Pentecost. Fast forward into the New Testament time, after Jesus' death, which was on Passover, 50 days later, the apostles and the disciples were sitting up, ascended in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes in with like a gush of a mighty wind. They see something like tongues of fire. And once again gives them and imparts them power to go out to be witnesses to the entire world. And that timid Peter, the one who forsook Jesus three times, receives an enormous amount of power. And boom, what's he do? He goes out and he opens his mouth and proclaims this message that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, and we killed him, but he rose again, and boom, 3,000 people are saved. And the next day, 5,000 people are saved. That's all on Pentecost. That was 24 years prior to this time. 24. And this is Paul's shining moment to go to his people at the place of all places, when the nations are gathered and he's going to stand up and he's going to give this amazing message. And man, wouldn't it be great if the response was like what Peter had. And he's given this crazy testimony. It's like, I was just like you were. I don't blame you. But look what Jesus is doing. Look what he did in my life. But it was a little bit of a different crowd this time around. This is all happening on Pentecost. This was a big deal for Paul. This is what he came back for, was to communicate to the nations. But put Paul aside for a second. Let's talk about this Jesus, because he's the main character, not Paul. Paul's just a willing vessel sitting here on Pentecost proclaiming who Jesus is. And what does this tell us about Jesus, which is the most important thing for us to even look and ask? Where's Jesus, and what's it tell, him, tell us about him? And how do we respond? And this is what I look to, and I see as like, okay, this tells me a lot about who Jesus is. When Paul was converted in 33 A.D., he was on the road as a terrorist to the church, trying to wipe us out. And God struck him down. So that means God knows not only the church, but he knows the enemies of the church, and he knows them by name. He knows them by name. And he knows where they're at, and he knows what they're going to do. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So that means he 
feels it when we are persecuted. He actually can feel it because it's his body being persecuted. We represent his body. He feels it when we are inflicted. And what it also tells me is Paul recognizes who it is right out of the gate. Lord, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the son of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. It tells me that it's noontime, Paul says, when he struck down on the road to Damascus. It's noontime, which means the sun is right above. It's the brightest time of the day. And he says the light shone, so his glory eclipsed the sun at high noon. Eclipsed the sun at high noon, and he spoke, and everybody around him, Paul was saying, is they saw this glory. They couldn't understand what was happening, but they saw this glory. And it dropped Paul to the ground. So no wonder, Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, no wonder he comes just right out of the gate to say, look who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, when he says that at the name of Jesus, every single knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth is going to bow at just at the name. And every single tongue is going to confess him as Lord. Every person on earth and heaven and under the earth, and I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're a terrorist to the church, there's going to be one day where we're not going to have a choice because his glory is going to come and we, all of us are going to drop to our knees. That's how powerful Jesus is. And if anybody can say this, it's to the church, it's Paul, because it literally happened to him. And what did Paul do to be chosen by God? Was it his, his goodness? Was it, uh, he was just out doing these great things in the midst of all this, and God saw, man, I, he's just so special, I'm just going to bless him today. And he's actually trying to kill the people who are proclaiming the name of Jesus. He's persecuting Jesus. And Paul literally did nothing. Matter of fact, he was doing the opposite of everything he should have been doing. And then God chose him. So what's that tell you about God? He chooses us. And you can't do anything good to earn his approval. And he'll even choose the worst person for his glory and for his purposes. And that worst person, when they interact with their heavenly father through Jesus and the glory, and he comes in and invades their life, they don't have a choice. And here's Paul, from one instance he becomes a terrorist to the church, to one of the most life-giving people to the church in a matter of a second because of the power of Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you believe this really happened? And if we believe it, if we believe Jesus is that powerful, and we believe the one who was struck down on the road, when he says one day we're all going to bow and all of our tongues are going to confess, then how do we respond daily? How are we to walk according 
to who Jesus Christ is and how much he loves me and how much he loves you. This right here should set us in proper perspective and order so we can fully worship God and understand who he is to get out there and do what he has called us to do, just like Paul. No wonder Paul can say in Ephesians, you have been chosen before the foundations of the world in, who Christ, in Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 2 and he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the way of the world, the course of this world, even in the prince of the air, Satan. He says to the Ephesians, you are following Satan. But God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. We can literally do nothing. We're chosen by God. And that should make us respond in worship, just like it does with Paul. And we should care less about what would happen to us, like Paul. Paul's a shining example of when he is somebody who truly believes it and truly owns it and says, I can't help it but to be obedient to my, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even if it brings me to death. And so when he stands up here, he's standing up because it's real to him. And it's an encouragement to me because there's times where I fail. And there's times where I just don't feel like worshiping God today. I feel like doing Kent's thing. And making sure Team Kent is set and happy and I got my future plan or whatever. And I read these kind of scriptures and it's just like, Lord, give me that boldness. And that's the beauty of the scripture because it gives us that encouragement. We can go to it and pray through it and see Paul. But it tells us a lot about who Jesus is. We need to make sure we're not messing around with the life that he has given us. If you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I don't care to know Jesus. The scripture tells me and it tells you, one day you're going to bow to him. And you're going to proclaim him as Lord. One day you will. And he says, if you don't, on this side of the earth, commit to him and repent and follow him, there's no heaven for you. There's hell waiting. And that's the scripture, and that's what Paul is trying to tell all these Jewish people. That he's so powerful, and he's so real, and he's so true. Do not waste today, because today is the day of salvation. Why put it off? Why put it off? And for those of us, or for you, that are just weary from doing good, Galatians 6, 9, says, do not be weary of doing good, but stay strong in the Lord Jesus. Either way, we're all affected by this passage. We're all affected by Paul and his writings because of what happened on the road to Damascus. In 11, and since I could not see the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. So he was blinded. He was literally blinded, and these people had to help him into Damascus. And then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Ananias was a well-known man in Damascus, and he's bringing his name in there for a little bit more credibility. So it's one thing after the next, just bringing credibility to his argument so he can proclaim the name of Jesus. And then he said... Ananias, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and to see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. So according to Jesus' will, he was chosen. 
For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's Ananias' message to Paul. We know from the other account earlier, he had like scales on his eyes and they fell off. He was blind, but now he can see. He's blind, but now he can see. Something radical happened on the road to Damascus. He was blind for three days, so he had plenty of time to think about what was going on. Plenty of time. And there's this man, Ananias, who comes and just reveals to him what was going on. In verse 17, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. So he goes back into the temple, kind of where he's at right now, and he goes into some sort of trance. God speaks to Paul in this particular way. And saw him and saying to him, and saw him saying to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So the Lord is speaking to Paul in a trance that you need to get out of here. They're not going to receive your testimony. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So Paul was consenting to Stephen's death, which was the first martyr of our church. And then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So you think that Paul, when he was saved, he went back to Jerusalem. He just wanted to start talking. He's like, Paul, they're not going to listen to your testimony. You need to get out of here. He's kind of, maybe he's in an argument with God. He's like, how could they not believe me? I was just killing. I was just killing the Christians. And I just got radically converted. They have to believe me. If anybody, who are they going to believe? And then you start thinking about it. It's like, well, wait a second. He's talking to the man who came and was absolutely perfect on this world, performed miracles and set so many people free. And taught with such clarity. I mean, really, nobody has walked the earth like Jesus. The Jews should not have killed Jesus, right? <laughs> so what makes Paul better than Jesus? And so Jesus says, Paul, you need to get out of here. And he says that all in the spirit while he's in this trance. They're just not going to understand. They even killed our Lord. So of course they're not going to understand. So after Paul says this thing about the Gentiles, that God told him to go to the Gentiles, it says, and they, meaning these, these, these Jewish men, listened to him until this word, and they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Sounds sort of like what they said about Jesus. They were kind of yelling the same things when Jesus was up there with Pilate. And then as they cried out, and they tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air just because of what Paul had just said here. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging, scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So the commander of the Roman army cannot figure this thing out. He's confused. And he's going to get an answer. And so how does he get an answer? By scourging Paul until he confesses the truth. That's his way of getting an answer. And so here goes Paul. He's going to get strapped up. 
and he's about to be beaten, hopefully spilling the news to this commander. Okay, 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 this is who I really am. Because the commander's completely confused. And they bound him with thongs. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And the centurion heard that, and he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, so he's still so confused, tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul says, yes. And the commander's like, wait a second. He doesn't say that. I threw that in there. The commander answers, with a large sum, I obtained the citizenship. So, it's like, wait a second, you're, you look poor to me. I'm thinking this is what the commander's thinking. How did you get the citizenship then? Because me as the commander actually had to purchase this citizenship with a lot of money. So how did you get to become a Roman citizen? And Paul says, I was born a citizen. So that actually puts him up one rung from the commander. And so if you're a Roman, you have great laws protecting you. You have to go to court, and you have to be tried in a Roman court. And you can't be beaten or scourged or anything like that. And so Paul plays this card. I'm a Roman. And then that commander is about ready to scourge him. He could have gotten a lot of trouble for beating his own citizenship, his own type of person, an own Roman. And he is like, wait a second, what happened? Then immediately, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, withdrew from Paul, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. And that's where we're going to stop tonight. It's another cliffhanger. Paul goes back to Jerusalem during Pentecost because the nations are there and that is the boiling point or the boiling pot, excuse me, at that moment in time for all the nations to come. And it's an opportunity for Paul to proclaim the news and then more people from all over the nations can hear and go back. Seems like a good strategy. And it kind of was a good strategy because it landed Paul into a lot of trouble and now it's going to put him in the Roman court system. But, and he's eventually going to go to Rome. So what's the big deal about that? Well, Paul seems like he's always trying to get to Rome. And he's trying to get there free. And he got a free ticket now to Rome. And he's called to the Gentiles, as Peter was called to the Jews. But Paul had an enormous amount of love for his own people. It just didn't really work out for him here. But Paul, God had a better plan and a bigger plan for Paul. And he is actually not going to the Jewish capital. He's going to really the world capital, Rome. And when he can go there and proclaim the news, I mean, all the nations are coming into Rome, especially the Gentile nations, because Rome has control over almost the entire known world. And so when Paul goes to Rome, it's like gold to him, gold to him. That's where we are going to start going now. So chapters 23 on, it's Paul getting to Rome. It's him going to Rome. And I love this whole thing as you piece it all together. 
because didn't he, stay with me here, okay? You go to Philippians, and Paul's telling him in chapter 1, as Paul is in a Roman prison, and he's sending him a letter of encouragement, because they're so upset that Paul is in prison, and is being mistreated for nothing, for proclaiming the news, and Paul wants to reassure them, guys, I'm okay. Even though I'm in chains in this Roman prison, the whole palace guard, the elite of the elite, now know about Jesus because they're chained to him 24-7. So the mission of God is actually happening, but it's never according to man's ways. It's God's ways. And even Paul's companions in 20 and 21 were saying, don't go. Please do not go. And Paul had something other than mind. He understood the will of God. That we are to go to the nations. He's in Rome, and now he can proclaim it to all the nations. So all these people could come and listen, especially these Roman elite, the palace guards. And he said, even the palace guard says, hello to you, Philippians. Read Philippians chapter 1. You'll see what I'm talking about. So this thing, this comes really in full circle. And all this has happened, and we are benefactors of it today. We are benefactors of Paul's obedience today because he went to the Gentile world. And if you just trace our church history all the way back, you're going to land right back there. We are the Gentile world, and we are benefactors of Paul's obedience. And if the Lord tarries, who's going to be the benefactor of your obedience 100 years, 200 years, or 300 years from now? I pray the Lord that the rapture comes before then. But if it doesn't, who's the benefactor? Are we teaching our kids the ways of the Lord? Are we trying to push them out in the name of the Lord so they understand how powerful Jesus is? So they can stand strong and make disciples of even their children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and allow this legacy to go just like Paul allowed a legacy to go with all the other churches. We play a part in this too. We play a part in proclaiming the gospel just like Paul did. And we have a testimony of how God captured our hearts as well. And there's going to be times where people don't like it, but God gets the glory. And there's going to be times where we're going to be persecuted because of the testimony of Jesus Christ in our life. But God will get the glory. And we do know at the end of the, end of the time, all of our knees are going to bow. It's all going to be worth it, church. So stay strong in your calling in Jesus. As Paul stayed strong, he's an encouragement to us. And listen to the Holy Spirit because he knows best. If you're to proclaim, you proclaim and you do it with boldness. And if you have struggling in your faith of, do I really even believe this? Would I do this? Because I don't even know if I even believe this. You need to go meet with the Lord on this. Tomorrow morning when you wake up or tonight, if you feel this way, you literally need to meet with the Lord on this because there should be no wavering, no tossing to and fro on the waves as James talks about in chapter 1. There's no wavering. Go back and recount how God moved in your life. Those memorials that you put in place to stay strong in your faith because Satan is out to attack you. He's not messing around. He is out to seek and devour you in me, in this church, in all the churches. That's his mission. So get in the game. And if you're staying strong, stay strong in the game and encourage those who are not.
Because we all get there sometime or another. We all go through those lulls, don't we? Don't we? But God is rich in mercy. He makes us alive in Jesus Christ. If he can forgive Paul, he has chosen Paul, he can do that for us as well. Great scripture for us to meditate upon. Pray through Paul and how he responds to the gospel. I pray in my own life that I would just have an eighth of his passion. But God has chosen me for my calling, not Paul's calling. (laughs) I get it. But we have a reason to worship Jesus. He loves us and he saved us and we have an eternal life with him. So let's live like we really believe it because there's no reason not to. Amen?